Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. Just go for it. Let's go to our text message. We've got some interesting Oh, yes. Especially about what we've we've been talking about. This is is good stuff. Let's see here. Okay, so we were talking about, you were talking about uh, big companies, big corporations in the United States and funding students through university and all this kind of thing. Mm. So we got some... And we came up with some good theories about how potentially this is like a... A, a debt trap situation with it. They, they're recuperating their loss somehow. Like, sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, Walmart and Monopolies is the name of the game. All major companies in the world are owned by two mega companies. One of them is BlackRock. I'd say that there's three. So you've got uh, Vanguard and State Street as well. Mm. Um, interesting name in the Book of Revelation, the rock that crushed the feet of the statue of Jesus. Here we have, anyway, BlackRock is... Crushing or buying the world with its money, you guys are on the money on on the money this morning. On on on, on this one, I'm proud of you. So there you go with all of our with all of our uh, conspiring here. Yeah, we we may have come up with. We've something. impressed people. I, I but Walmart is not owned by BlackRock. Who's Walmart owned by? One of the other two. I can't remember which one. Yeah, not BlackRock. I don't really know much about this, to be honest. Between between the three of them, yeah. Between the three of them, they manage. Uh, what did I what did I put? Uh, Fifteen trillion dollars. That's that's a lot. In assets. That's that's three quarters of the GDP of the, of of the, the United world. States of oh, of the United, United States. States. Okay, yeah. there's three quarters of the GDP yeah. of the United States. Yeah, three companies, three American companies, mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they they got a, they got their finger in a lot of pies. If um, you know they they own Merrill Lynch, Barclays, Helix Financial Group, uh, Future Advisor, Cash Cash Matrix, um, Tenenbaum, um, Apple, Microsoft, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan. They mm. got controlling shares in all of those. You know, it's yeah, just, wow. it just goes on and on and on and on. So, yeah, big mega companies, big. And this is, you know, this kind of, it reminds me of a passage in the Bible. It, it reminds me of a couple of passages. In fact, I'm going to go there real are quick. You, are you going to go to James chapter 5? Got to go to James chapter 5 <laughs> and Revelation chapter 18. <laughs> Classics. Because, you know, when you get companies that are literally this big mm. and have monopolies at this level, uh, and, and have the level of financial control that they have. Yeah. You know, these people think that they are immune to anything that happens in the world because mm. of the level of power that they have. Mm. But the Bible talks about it in where are you, James chapter 5, yeah. Uh, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. In other words, it's become worthless. The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were with fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Mm. $15 trillion worth of assets. I'd say that's heaping treasure together. (laughs) Yeah. Behold the hire of the labors who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud cries, and the cries of those which have have reached the ears of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And the Bible says when you see this happening, be patient because the coming of the Lord is near. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Revelation chapter 18. You read the oh, read the whole of Revelation chapter 18. But the Bible talks about the fall of Babylon at the end of time 
and it looks at it from a number of different perspectives, and it begins by looking at it from the political, the kings of the earth. Verse 9, you know, the kings of the earth who have committed fornication, have lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her, etc., etc., etc. But then it goes on uh, and it talks not just about the kings. It says in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over mm. her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. Oh, wow. And then you... That, that section then extends from verse 11 all the way down through verse 24. And there's some long verses there that's a big passage which is talking about you know global financial collapse on a scale that our world has never, ever seen before at the end of time. Mm. So, yeah, there's, um, there's some big companies out there that kind of feel like that they might be immune to stuff because they just own everything. Mm. But they're not immune as they don't own everything. And it won't last forever. And it will collapse. Yeah. That's what the Bible says. We'll see that play out, surely. Okay. Uh, pornography for children education. Have you noticed these organizations do these things under the umbrella of education? False education. Again, have you considered who is backing them? Yeah. Where do you even start? Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, it's such where a do you, Where web. do you even start? Mm. It is such a... Um, that's such a web. Another one here on the street preacher. It would be. It would have to be one of the hardest things to do. Street preaching. I agree. Yeah. Same. It's very confronting. I'm not sold on it. And uh, I had a friend of mine who became involved, heavily involved in street preaching, and I was going to go and advise him against it, and say, look, you know, this is not really the best witness for Christianity. We kind of make Christianity look a bit weird and strange. And then somebody gave their life to God mm. that week. And is still a Christian, you know, a decade later uh, as a result of that. And I'm like, okay, well, who am I to judge? Yeah. 100%. And so I just shut up on that. Yeah. It's it's ultimately a witness, but yeah, it is quite a quite a heavy thing. Oh, yes. I would say... Particularly uh, in our culture. With this story, the thing that interested me is that... Did, she, did someone say she was accused of racism? Yes. Is this one of her accusations? So I looked this person up, Hazel yes. Lewis. Like, she's like... She's an, like African, an African lady. Yeah, she's an African lady. <laughs> what racism did they accuse her of? I'm not making a point that like people can't be racist, but yes. it's like it's like in that context in of that being context. in England, like as a, a black street preacher, I'm like, man, like yeah, wild. That's so it bad. Is. All right, next one here. Great controversy strikes again. I can only imagine how many millions of people, including Christians from other from all kinds of denominations. Uh, became Sabbath keepers because they read the Great Controversy. History speaks for itself, mm. and not just Sabbath keepers. The thing, you know, I, when I read that book for the first time myself, it was the chapter titled "The Scriptures Our Safeguard," because the Great Controversy is a great book, but it is not the Bible. Mm. And it was that chapter there that drove me to the Bible. That was where mm. I was like, got super excited about reading the Bible, um, and 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 that's what it's all about. Mm. Okay. Um, one more here. It also mentioned that monopolies, Revelation, speaking about Revelation 18, will rule in the last days. That's a fact. Mm. Then we have some more over here. Let me see here. The problem is today the porn stars are in the bedroom under the parents' noses. It's a cruel, crazy world. Dear Lord, come soon for this world. That's Freco right there. Um, just weighing in on that one, and and I think they've got this. What's it called? Where um, teenage? Yeah, it's like it's OnlyFans. Only Essentially, fans, only like fans. It, it, basically, the pornography intru- industry has become. Uh, yeah, the pornography industry has become like a, a like a startup thing. 
you know, where you can do it as an individual. There's there's no longer a, a reliance on networks or companies to be able to to do that. And so it's it, what it's easy it, money. It it is, and also you know the proliferation of of social media well, within the advent of the social media where um, people's personalities can get so much further, and their personality is based on their sex work. You know, it's 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 created a really dire situation in this space. Yep. All right. So um, that small community of friends did get Lawson was savage. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yes. I like my friends, though. That's that's from Brett. Brett says that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, Lawson has three friends. I I don't. I don't need to prove myself. Like Lawson Lawson has three. (laughs) <laughs> Don't say me, myself, and I, please. Me, myself, and Jesus. And Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs more friends when you've got Jesus? Amen. No, Lawson has a big network of friends. Ah, uh, no, you, you don't have to stand up for me, Lyle. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> like if, if people want to think I'm some like terrible loader, I have, a, I have. A, yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> okay. It's all good. It's all good. I'll cop it. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, so let's um, let's go to our still Bible study. Bible study. Let's do a Bible study. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Where were we? Genesis chapter forty-five. We're going to start mm-hmm. reading in verse one. Did we did we read this yesterday yet? Um, this is, uh, I believe, is in we got verse one. We got up to the part with the cup. We were talking about how yes, the cup, the, the situation with the cup. That's right. So the cup was something that for rulers was mm. incredibly important. And Joseph makes out like uh, you know, it's like a person, like a person. You should know a person like myself can divine, and this is the cup through which I divine, and you've stolen my divining cup. Mm. You know, he's he's having some fun with his brothers here, mm. um, without them knowing about it. But he's certainly making it sound good, mm. and this is something that Egyptians would no doubt have believed in. And this is a cup that belongs to a person who is basically royalty, mm. and they've stolen that. Mm. This was the cup where you have a cupbearer who is the equivalent of a prime minister as far as status in the empire goes and who never lets the cup out of their sight. And Mm. he's the prime minister and someone has stolen his cup. It's just like you don't do that. Nobody does that unless they have an absolute... Death wish, and it's because it's like it's not it's not just a cup, and that the cup is cool, but it's their safeguard against assassination. Essentially, that's right. Absolutely. In that way, that that they like the reason the cup is so important. The reason the cup bearer is so trusted is because they're the they're the person that serves the king. Yes, and, and and particularly like kings of empire, you know, as the kingdom expands, you know, when you look at these ancient kingdoms, as they expand and get bigger, the more paranoid the the king becomes. Because then you start like you start having advisors in your court who are from other uh, ethnicities and whatnot, where it's like they could be motivated to take you out. So the cupbearer, um, you know, for the king, and then the cupbearer himself, like this is their safeguard against poisoning, against assassination. And you're you're messing with that, like you're basically putting their life in danger by doing so. Yeah, and so you know they know the the brothers know they've been totally set up here. Mm. And uh, no one in their right mind, particularly after they've just, you know, Simeon's just got out of jail. Uh, they've they've been treated really, really well by the by the uh, the, the, the prime minister here. He's, he's they've been personal guests of his in his home. Mm. And then is you know the secret service turns up and says you've stolen his cup. You know, 
they, they there's no way they've stolen his cup. Mm. It's just it's just and they're like searches and then it's found. They they know. Yep, this, the whole thing was a trap. Yeah, well. the whole thing was a trap. And of course, it's found in Benjamin's sack. Mm. And the captain of the guard, the you know head of the secret service, is like, well, I'm only taking Benjamin. The rest of you guys are free to go. This is the guy who stole it. He's the guy that goes to jail. Uh, the rest of you guys, be on your way. Mm. All right, let's 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 pick up the story. Um, which verse do you want to read from? Start in verse. Uh, where, 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 what does the story start with in verse one? Where? So it says, like when his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions: fill each of their sacks with much grain, um, uh, so they can carry. Um, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah. Read so this. we've already gone through Done this. Um, they found it in uh, Benjamin. Actually, there's a, there's a whole passage here that I really wanted to read, and it's the passage that let me just flick over there real quick, where Judah steps forward, who is the oldest. Um and uh, chapter forty four. Why don't you start reading for us in verse eighteen? Let's just read this passage, and I just yep. want you to soak this in and see what is coming out of this man's heart. Then Judah stepped forward and said, "Please, my lord." Because because they all go back. Yeah, they're like, we're not going back. We're not letting Benjamin go back by himself. We will all go back. Yeah. Then Judah stepped forward and said, "Please, my lord, let your servant say just one word to you." Please do not be angry with me, even though you are as powerful as Pharaoh himself. My Lord, previously you asked us, your servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord. We have a father who is an old man and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us, unless the youngest brother comes with you, we'll never, you will uh, never see my face again. So we returned to your servant, our father, and told him what you had said. Later, when he said, go back again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't unless our youngest brother goes with us. We'll never get to see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Then my father said to us, as you know, my wife had two sons and one of them went away and never returned. um, Doubtless he was torn um, to pieces by some wild animal. I've never seen him since. Now, if you take his brother away from me and any harm comes to him, you... Uh, you will send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will surely die. We, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. It's quite the speech. Yeah, wow. It's a full-on speech right there. It's, it's, you, know, you, you could not not be moved by that. Mm. Um, and then you've got uh, chapter 45 and verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and the word 
um, of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of him. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. What a story. What a story. Let's just, let's, let's just sort of let's hold it there. We, could, but we, we need to stop and sort of dwell on some of the yeah, wow. things here. You know, when Judah makes that speech, mm. Joseph can't hold it together any longer. Yeah. And you can imagine being in there in that room when Judah makes that speech. Imagine the emotions that you would see on Joseph's face Mm. while Judah is saying this stuff. Yeah. Because here he is seeing his brothers as changed men. Yeah. They are not the hard-bitten, jealous, angry men. They've got Benjamin, who is their youngest brother there. Benjamin has been promised all of the birthright, all of the wealth, everything that is coming from Jacob. They are not in the slightest bit jealous about it, and they are ready to give their lives Mm. to ensure that Benjamin lives and goes back to his father and for their love for their father. Mm. It's it, yeah. I th- yeah, I think for Joseph, he he realizes like as we've been talking about, you know, a little bit about forgiveness this week as well, is that like finally, like he's forgiven his brothers long ago, but now he can, you know, he can finally forget in in the sense that he can he can actually live with them now, he can actually be with them now, you know, because they changed men, he, you know, and, and they converted men. You know, you got all those stories where they do horrific and terrible things, mm. and it really culminates where they sell their brother. Yeah, wow. Well. But after that, they all experience conversion, and they're now changed men. Mm. And they're standing before Joseph, and I think for Joseph, like, he's so overcome with emotion, like, as he's asking them, like, where is my father? Like, he's been thinking about this for years. He's been thinking about just being reunited with his family, but he knew the steps that needed to be taken before he could get there so that they could come together in harmony. Yes. And that would ultimately lead to the situation where, you know, Pharaoh takes a bit, we're going to get to that part of the story probably, or, or maybe not, but essentially, like, yeah, through Joseph's just yearning for them and, and by going about it this way, this sets the family up and it's like, oh, it's just the perfect end to the narrative. It's- You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Someone texted through to mention that the apostles did street preaching in the book of Acts. <sighs> yeah. Quite common. And, you know, there's different times, different cultures. I get that. Um, but, hey... It was it comes preaching. down to it comes down to what God calls you to, and who am I to argue with another person's calling? And then you also see like Paul as a missionary, you know, going to the synagogue, the synagogue on the Sabbath, yes. and, and preaching there. Like, yeah, it goes both ways. Like people, people are led by God to do ministry. I think that's that's different ministry point. in different ways. That's mm. right, absolutely. That's why we have the body of Christ. Okay, Amen. so let's go to uh, back to the book of Genesis, and uh-huh. we have this story here. Of course, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. Mm. Um, reading through this passage here in Genesis 45, you know, what does it tell us about how Joseph felt about his brothers and the forgiveness he had given them, his his reaction to them? Because, well, actually, first of all, put yourself in his brother's shoes. Mm. Here's Judah up there. He's saying his piece. Yeah. And he is pleading for the life of mm. Benjamin and begging that, you know, take me instead. Mm. 
and they would have seen all kinds of emotions on Joseph's face and had no idea what was going on inside of his head. Yeah. And then Joseph turns around and for the very first time speaks their language. Yeah, wow. You know, they've been speaking through an interpreter this whole time and suddenly he speaks their language. You know, their language was a pretty small language. They'd come from Ur of the Chaldees Mm. and they were a small people group in the land of Canaan. Not many people spoke that language and suddenly Joseph speaks it. Mm. It's kind of like that would knock you flat to begin with. Like where did that come from? He's been listening to us the whole time. He speaks our language? Yeah, wow. Who even does that? Who even speaks our language? And then he says, I'm Joseph. Mm. And they recognise, well, actually, the reason he speaks their language is because of who he is, Mm. and this is the Prime Minister of Egypt, and this is Joseph. And you can kind of see them staring at him for a while, like, haven't seen him for a long time, but, yeah, I can see through the Egyptian styling there. Oh, no. And then they're speechless, the Bible says. That's right. They're just like, well, really, they, they sold him into slavery. It was Joseph who... Sorry, it was Jacob who thought he was dead because they, that's what the narrative that they told him. But at this point, like, dude, you get sold into slavery. Like, you die. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's right. They Absolutely. probably think he's dead. Yes. Like, this has been years and years. They probably think, decades. like... Decades. This has been decades. They probably think he's long gone. And what you've got to remember is that the life expectancy in those in those times, we know because, you know, Egyptians mummified their corpses and we're able to do autopsies on them and so forth today. Life expectancy was in the 40s. Mm. Not that many people made it into their 50s in Egyptian culture. Mm. And so Joseph, you know, he's exceeded all of that. He's, a, he's an old man by Egyptian standards. And then, uh, you know... For him to be still alive, yeah, that's amazing. To be prime minister of Egypt, that's just that's just off the charts. Yeah, that's wild. Okay, but they're terrified at this particular point because they're like, okay, Joseph, this is the guy we sold into slavery, and this is the guy who now has ultimate power in this country. Mm. He can he can do with us as he wants, and it's his opportunity for revenge. Mm. Okay. What does this tell us about how Joseph feels about his brothers and the forgiveness that he's given for them? How does Joseph respond? Oh, he, he asked them about, well, first he asked them about their dad. He's like, yes. how's Jacob? Yes. Um, you know, how's dad his doing? dad. Yeah. How's, how's his dad? And it just comes from there. Like um, it says in verse five, but don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of time to preserve your lives. Like, that's his yes, response. He's like, right. he's like, I'm doing this for you, essentially. God has sent me here for you. Yes. So obviously, like, he's not mad. <laughs> like, he's not mad. He's not, you know, vengeful. He is, he's actually stoked. He's like... He's like, totally forgiven these guys. Yeah. He has totally forgiven them. This is this is true forgiveness right here. Mm. Yeah, that's that's it's it's just a, the most amazing story, you know. Of course, you know you cut a longer a, a, a longer story short here, and and Joseph's like, look, you know, we're only two years into this famine. There's mm. another five yet to come, and so um, you need to move down here because this is the only place where you're actually going to have any kind of food. Mm. And so he sends he sends the brothers back, mm. 
He sends a huge wagon train because you've got to remember this was a big family. You know, there's probably 1,500 people in this family. That's a lot of people to move. You know, if, you, if you're going to, you know, you imagine how many trucks that would take. Mm. But Joseph has the resources to send, you know, a baggage train that large to be able to transport a family that big down to the land of Egypt. They come down to the land of Egypt and he, uh, he introduces five of his brothers to Pharaoh. Mm. And Pharaoh's like, you know, what, what do you guys do? What's your trade? And they're like, well, we're all shepherds. We've always been shepherds. We're all, you know, Abraham, our father, Isaac, we're all shepherds. Mm. And he's like, okay, because the Pharaohs weren't shepherds. The Pharaohs kind of, the, the Egyptians kind of looked down on shepherds. They were, you know, low caste in their eyes. But he's like, the land of Egypt is here. Pick where you want to go. Mm. Find the best spot for sheep, which smart move on Pharaoh's part because he's got some really good, um, he's got some really good immigrants coming through who are skilled in an area that the Egyptians have mm. not focused their attentions on because nobody in Egypt wants to be a shepherd. Mm. Uh, so that's going to fill a gap for Pharaoh. Smart move right there. And then the Bible talks about the story, talks about when he brings his father in. Yeah, he brings Jacob in. Uh, you find it in. Oh, chapter 47. Yeah. Uh, Where he, he blesses the Pharaoh. Yeah. Why don't you read for us verse 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I've traveled this earth for 130 hard years. Yeah, right. Um, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. That's you, you imagine if you're Pharaoh and this guy comes in and he just looks like he is ancient, like death walking, dude, like ancient. Well, he's well, he's kind of not death walking because he's going to make it still for another seventeen years. Yeah, wow, he's still got seventeen years left <laughs> in him. You know, he, he dies at one hundred and forty-seven. It's not a bad run, mm. but as he says, you know, he's aging much faster than his parents did. Mm. His father made it to 180. Mm. Abraham, his grandfather, made it to 174. And he feels age coming on. But here he is standing in front of Pharaoh, who has a life expectancy of you know, 40, 45, 50 at the most. Yeah, wow. Yeah, a big contrast right there for the followers of God. So many things we can learn from this story, but really it does draw our attention to the power of forgiveness. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, time for Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, wasn't the Sabbath changed to Sunday by Emperor Constantine in AD 33? That's from Cheryl. Okay, so there's a little bit of untangling that we need to do here. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are those who claim that the day of worship was changed from Saturday to Sunday when Jesus died. And some people were well, sorry when he was resurrected, and some people will claim that that was in AD 33. That's actually incorrect. Uh, the Bible tells you that it was in AD 31. Uh, so that's the first uh, date that we need to organize there. Then, of course, Constantine wasn't going to come until several centuries later. Mm-hmm. So Constantine wasn't alive, he wasn't even thought of uh, until the 300s, and he comes to power and makes the first Sunday law in A.D. 321. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, 300 years later, A.D. 321. That's the first Sunday law where he 
basically commands everybody to rest on what he what he referred to as the venerable day of the sun. And so that was when Christians were forced by law to keep Sunday. Of course, you know, that really didn't exist in many parts of the world at that time. Uh, most parts of the world in that era were still keeping, still worshipping on, on Saturday Sabbath, but definitely in Rome and Alexandria and your major centres, uh, people were now worshipping on Sunday. Up until that point, a lot of churches have been worshipping on both days. So they've been keeping the Sabbath as a day of prayer and fasting so that they could do their evangelism on Sunday. Constantine comes along and says, look, um, you guys are worshipping on both days. Pagans are worshipping on Sunday. Let's have it all in common and let's just all worship on Sunday and makes it into law. So that was in 321. Sabbath keeping itself didn't actually become illegal until the Council of Laodicea in 363 AD. So that's quite some years later. Um, when you go to the Council of Laodicea, they had a number of different issues that they were, that they had under uh, discussion at that particular, uh, council where the, uh, outlawing the keeping of the Sabbath or Saturday and encouraging rest on Sunday was one of them. And it came through as canon number 29. And so that's kind of like a brief history of Sabbath keeping in the West. Of course, when you get to the more outlying areas of Christianity, uh, Sabbath keeping continued. So down in Ethiopia, Sabbath keeping has always been there. They still keep two days down in Ethiopia uh, because Ethiopia Sabbath Christianity arrived in what is modern-day Ethiopia in the 3rd century. And, of course, it was the 3rd century when Christians were keeping both days. Uh, well, a lot of Christians were. Then you've got other parts of the world uh, where, for instance, in the Celtic churches, you know, St. Patrick and, and the churches that he established, these were Sabbath-keeping churches in Ireland and Scotland and Wales and parts of England. These were all Sabbath-keeping churches, uh, well, the church in Scotland, all the way up until the time of the Reformation of the 16th century. You've got other parts of the world, uh, say, for instance, China and Japan, um, Armenia, Eastern churches, these were Sabbath-keeping churches right the way through, many of them until modern times uh, or late medieval times, some of them. Sabbath-keeping in India didn't disappear until the, you know, the arrival of Roman Catholicism and the setting up of the Inquisition in which Sabbath-keepers and Hindus were burnt to death for their faith. And so Sabbath-keeping is something that never died out entirely, but it certainly took a lot of centuries for it to start to disappear, even though it sort of, you know, Sunday keeping began in Rome and spread from that city. It took, you know, literally centuries, many, many centuries, and in some places over a thousand years and in some places never at all for Sunday keeping to take the place of Sabbath. So, yeah, just a few corrections on those dates. Uh, 31 AD was when Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, there was no change to the Sabbath at that time. 321 was the first law, and 363 was where Sabbath keeping uh, was made illegal. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.